I trust the Lord has really blessed you this week, and you've spent the week seeking Him. And this morning, I just want to plow through a little bit of Philippians 4, really more in a practical way. This is not basically like a lecture, but it's more like, let's think deeper on the text. It's basic, but it's deep, and it really makes a radical difference in our lives. So let me open with prayer. Father God, we continually thank you for taking care of us. We probably cannot even list the multitude of times you've cared for us, and we've just let it pass by, thinking maybe it's something that we've done. God, we're so thankful for your care, love, and concern for us, and today, this morning, we want you to help us walk through the practical application of really what it is to trust you, stay focused on you, and rely on you. God, help us to be dependent upon you and never independent. God, we love you and thank you and ask that you would bless our hearts with the word that we may be filled up richly with the truth to experience truly what it is to live the life as a believer following you obediently. Jesus Christ, amen. Really, this morning is just, I just entitled it called Principles to Live By. Anyway, this week's been a real good eye-opener. Spent time with a, a brother who really had spent most of his time really running from the Lord, trying to do it all on his own, trying to fix everything all on his own. Probably been going for quite a few months, and finally it was like he hit the wall. I'd been getting texts from him periodically, and it's like, oh, I'm in trouble, oh, it's deep, it's a mess, you know, and I'm always going back to Scripture and saying, bro, we got to get together. Get in the Word, stay in the Word. Of course, the first question I ask usually is, are you in the Word daily? Are you spending time talking with God? What do you think the answer is? No. Amazing thing is God did hit him with that wall. And he was at a point where the only place he could look was up. And we did spend time together. You know, it was amazing, too, in my mind, some of the basic things that I was explaining to him, he was looking at him like, whoa, that's amazing. I never looked at it that way. And I'm like, Ey. You know, the concept of giving God your first fruits, do you understand what that means? Have you spent time chewing that and applying it and making it work? He'd heard it, but he'd never heard it in the context of the fact of, hey, he says, you know, my studies are in trouble. I'm having you know, all this kind of stuff. He's a college student. I said, you know what? It's not a gimmick, and it's not something where you go and do because you get an end result, but God's always been honoring to those who put him first. But I've got all my studies, dude. Put him first. I had a brother who was in a college ministry in California, and he said, Man, my grades are just not doing it. 
I said, what's, what's your time in the Word? Mm. Uh, not nothing, right? Okay. I said, do this. Set a time. You and God. You and His Word. Priority. First thing. But my... Gr- the Word first. God first. First fruits. Your day starts with Him. Probably about a month later, he came up and goes, Oh, dude, if I would have known. I hate that phrase. I'd use it myself, right? His grades started to come up. Why? You give God the honor where he needs to be, and that's the first fruits, not the back end of the deal. Position yourself, even your giving. Well, you know, I've got all these bills and these things, and this is coming up. I know. We all got bills. I don't know what you're complaining about. But what do you need to do? Put his up first. You'll be amazed. Your bills get paid. You know, you you must be thinking that that widow and her little mite that she gave that with all the noise and confusion that was going on in the temple, with all the giving and the horn blowing and the arrogance of the Pharisees and everybody as they were making sure that the coin was tossed into the metal and all the noise that it made, because I'm giving. With all that noise and everything else, guess what attracted Jesus? Somebody that you would never have picked out of the crowd. And she gave it all. Her priority was God. Nothing else. Where was she going to get anything else? But in Matthew 6, don't we get the strong message that sits there and says what? Do the lilies of field adorn themselves? Are you so concerned about where you're going to eat? what you're going to wear. These are insignificant things. Your Father who cares for you makes sure those basics are are met. So it was interesting spending time with his brother and watching these things start to open up. It didn't get easy suddenly. All of a sudden his roommate collision hit. I said, you approach him with kindness. One of the most horrid texts I think I've been memorizing. <laughs> yeah, i got to memorize it or you're not going to do it, right? It's been on my monitor at work for a long time. But you know what that is, right? You've been there. Something stuck on a monitor, a little post and all that. Do you even acknowledge that the thing exists after a couple of weeks? No. you got to put it inside. you got to get it inside so it keeps walking with you. When you get the Word inside, you start meditating on the Word, and you start chewing on the Word, and the Word starts holding together. And I remember when we studied the text. I was hoping I wasn't here that day. First Peter 2, 17. The first phrase, I need it at work. I need it everywhere. I need it at church. Honor All people. Phrase two. Love 
the brotherhood. Phrase three, fear God for honor the king. Do you guys remember that when we studied that? Did you memorize it so you could do it? Do you realize how hard it is to honor all people? That's hard. These are the kind of basics we've got to work through and learn. What I want to make sure that we do, and I have to cause myself to think this way every time I come to the Scriptures, whether it's reading it, whether it's hearing it, I have to approach the Word of God, I have to approach the Scriptures and the teaching of the Word of God never to say, I don't need this, this is not for me. That's probably the biggest lie that Satan can ever wire into us because the fact is the Word of God is written to us, for us, and we all need it, sometimes at different levels. So don't ever come to church or the Word and say, well, I got this, this sermon's really for so-and-so. If you ever say that, stop yourself quick and say, I have to have this, I need this. It's probably the most dangerous thing to ever do is to actually say that somebody else needs it. You and I need this word constantly. How many times can you re-study a, a section of Scripture and come away going, wow, I don't remember studying that. That was amazing. You know what? I think probably the best thing is, is remember the man who looked with great examination of the mirror to see himself? Remember that one? And he walked away, and that was all that he had that he remembered. Have you ever done that? Walked away from the Word and went, Word, meditate, because you've been in the Word, moves you to prayer. It's the consistent factor. you got James 1, 22 through 25. Practical. But be doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being not a hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. He will be blessed in his doing. All right, Philippians 4, verse 4. Very simple. But again, if you notice some of the texts we've been looking at, there's been the words all or always. These aren't 50% words. These aren't 10-second systems. These aren't little onesie-twosies. This is continuum. This is something we do always, all the time, for everyone. Honor all people. There's no exception list. No matter how nasty they are, you honor them. Is it hard? <laughs> oh, yeah. But God gives us the strength. Jesus is one of the greatest examples for honoring all people, right? But again, it's hard to do. 
So Paul is very clear. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. I love the emphatic, the repetition. Folks, you know, you've got to get this. Now remember, too, in this letter, Paul is not suddenly gone, okay, I want you to have rejoicing. He's already told them in, in chapter 3, verse 1, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. So rejoicing. Be honest with you, that was probably the stupidest word I've ever had in my old brain because I could never put any meat to it. I couldn't put it together. I could rejoice. You know, someone comes up to you, rejoice. No, that didn't work. I couldn't figure out what it, what you do. Someone comes up and says, rejoice. I'm like, okay, two cups of this, three teaspoons of this, and it, no, that's not a rejoice. I don't, eh, I'm commanded to rejoice and I just can't connect to it. And that's frustrating. Until a good brother helped me long time ago. Name was Kenny Poor. Got to know him well in the family life seminars. Where does joy come from? Can you conjure up joy? Read a certain book, conjure up joy. Take a medicine, conjure up joy. Run 50 laps. Right, Norman? No. That won't conjure up joy for all for me. Don't worry about that. Joy is from the Lord. It is supernatural. It is from God. It is what? Part of the fruit of the Spirit. It's from God alone. So if you want joy, where do you have to go? You have to be with God. How do you be with God? You're in His Word daily. You're talking to Him constantly. How do you pray without ceasing? <laughs> Don't do it when you're driving, okay? You know, the bow the head, close your eyes thing. What do you do? You're in a constant conversation. Don't say amen because you've not finished. I realize the more I do that at work, I'm constantly praying all day because my brain is like gone. My attack system is on me all the time. I got to be in constant contact with God for what reason? Survival. So where am I going to go for my joy? The meal I just ate? No, no, no. <laughs> People say, well, it's the same thing as happiness. No, happiness is situational, right? Good things going, what are you? Happy. Bad things happen, what are you? Not happy. You're based on the situation around you. That's dangerous. You're up and down. You're on the sea. You're on the surf, up and down. So what did Kenny say? To make rejoice makes sense to me. At first I thought, hmm. And then I went, that's it. You know what rejoice really means? Return to your source of joy. If you're going to rejoice, you go to God. You're in His Word. You're not doing it yourself because you can't. And how do these people understand what this joy looked like in hard times? The Philippian believers didn't have a good, easy life, it was rough. 
And if you think about it, you go back to Acts 16.25. They didn't really know Paul at that time yet. But they were going to. 16.25, it was simple. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying. Okay. And what else were they doing? Singing hymns. How do you sing hymns when you're stretched and, and shackled in a prison, in a miserable situation? Because your joy is not based on what you're in, it's on who God is. And I love it. To God they were singing. And the prisoners were listening to them. Probably who was one of the members of the congregation that actually understands when Paul says rejoice and again all I say rejoice? The guard. Remember? He was ready to kill himself. He didn't. What does joy look like? It's a confidence. It's a trust. You know, that word, once it finally popped in my head and I finally understood that it just means return to your source of joy. You can't rejoice just on your own conjuring. You've got to be with God. You've got to be close to God. That intimacy and that relationship has got to be tight. That's a daily thing. Now, those of us who are married, and that's a lot of us here, okay? <laughs> Picture this. The time that you spend with God... Could you spend it with your spouse? I only talk to the Lord first thing in the morning. Okay, try that with your spouse. Morning, dear. That's it. See you tomorrow. That's ludicrous, isn't it? You go, that would be the dumbest thing in the world. That, that, that. Oh, buddy. In for counseling fast. No. Picture it as you would in a right relationship with anybody else, and if that's what you're doing to God, serious? You're wondering why joy's not there, because there's no connection. You and God aren't, aren't dynamically in a relationship. Remember, Galatians 5, and 23 gives us the fruit of the Spirit. It's a package. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And again, such things are, is not law. Remember, happiness is external. Joy comes from the Lord. Now, Paul's also not in this situation saying when you're at a funeral, you're all giddy and happy. You ever been around some of those interesting Christians, horrible times? And everything's wonderful, and you're like... Okay, don't get this. You wouldn't be joyful and giddy at a funeral, would you? So there is time for sorrow. There is time for reality. There is, he's, he's dealing with the reality of life. But in the midst of disaster, what's the center of our heart? There's joy because our relationship with God does not get changed by the external. Next point, just as hard. Verse 5, first part of verse 5. Have a gentle spirit. Let your reasonableness 
be known to everybody, everyone. It's hard. Again, did you notice that? Let your reasonables be known to everyone. That's the all-encompassing. That's your family members, that's everybody outside and inside your family, that's everywhere. That's everyone. You're to be gentle, respond correctly. Good quote I found. The forbearing or gentle person does not insist on his or her own rights or privileges. He or she is considerate and gentle toward others. How is this? The sentence is a warning not to be unduly rigorous about unimportant matters. What did my dad always say? Don't make a molehill into a mountain. You ever heard that? There's other weird things he used to say that never made sense, but that one did. If it's trivial, it's trivial. Walk away. So how do you look at something like this? All right, I've heard things in the past, and it's been interesting. All right, I understand the frustration with being on a time schedule and all that kind of stuff, but time is such a ridiculous thing to be wired to. Now, Mom made me a little bit more sensitive to being on time. Rick Holland also helped. <laughs> his, his attitude, and I believe it, early is on time. I believe that. But circumstances come up, especially if you got little kids. Those things are always in the you know south, going everywhere, and you can't herd the cattle anyway. <laughs> but the interesting thing, mom was a lot of times an hour to an hour and a half late to everything. The only thing that she wasn't late to was her funeral. But the interesting thing, it drove me absolutely bonkers. So I, I became more of a paranoid, rigid individual, and then I got married. <laughs> Things got a little adjusted, okay? And then the kids are also helping to make sure that you're never on time. Because they're getting ready. Where are my shoes? You're going, they're on you. Oh, okay. <laughs> you're just like, ah. Here's, here's a good one, and I've seen this in our family, and I've seen this and heard this of other families. How about a family dinner that's not starting on time? Okay. We said six o'clock. The plate should be out and the food should be on and you're not there. I am, what did you just say? I. You're rigid. Of something that's an extremely unimportant matter. So your testimony in your family gets trashed because you've got some weird thing about an absoluteness of time when it's family getting together which should be cherished. Get over yourself. Someone is not ready when you expect them to be. Oh, why don't you help them? <laughs> John Zimmer was our pastor over our premarital counseling class. At Grace, we called this the class out of hell. And it was. Okay, it was eight weeks from church, end of church in the morning to start a church at night. And there were 60 or 80 of us in the class. Not everybody was engaged, okay? And there was one time John was going through this scenario. Wife, they had 
my wife would be better at this, two or three kids. And he's talking about the fact that he's in the car waiting. They're trying to get the church, okay? And he's in the car and he's waiting. And his wife's, you know, bungled up. You know what it is. You got kids, you got bags all over. You're carrying the, the whole house with you. She's struggling. She's, got, she's hurting the kids and everything. He's just, come on, come on, come on. He's in the car. He's telling the story. Geldy and I were sitting next to each other in class, and we're like heating up with flames. We're start, I'm getting really angry at this guy on the inside. I'm like, dude, get out of the car and help your wife. And then he goes, man, you guys are about ready to tear me up. I was making a story and a point. And we're like, oh. But have you ever seen or done that yourself where you're, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, let's go, let's go, let's go. And you're getting on something that's extremely what? Unimportant? No, you're not consistently, habitually late, are you? Probably not, but stuff happens. Live in California, you'll go all of a sudden, oh, shoot, we've got a sig alert. We'll be at about an hour late because the freeway is what? Stopped. You're going nowhere. Can you uh, do anything about it? No. Okay. Something was not done according to your expectations. I remember years ago, my son Jason wanted to mow the front yard. I went, cool, I love it. So he goes, well, how do I mow it? I said, mow it. Well, how do you want me to mow it? Hey, oh, 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 buck, buck, hope. I ain't mowing it. You're mowing it. It's your job. He was not <laughs> grabbing it. See, if I had specific expectations, who should be doing the mowing? Me. Okay? But he was going to do the mowing. So it's, it's a learning process. And it was great. He mowed it phenomenally. Actually, had a little bit more creativity than I did. Kind of did some angles, you know, and I'm like, it looks like an artistic, you know, function out there. And he came back in and he goes, is that okay? If I expect my expectations to be met that way, then I'll be doing it myself. But you know what? Mowing a lawn is mowing a lawn, and he did a great job. I said, great job. You got it now for life, bud. <laughs> he looked at me like, ooh. But you see what I'm saying? It's not all about you. Be gentle. You can bend a lot and not break any biblical principles. You're not compromising in areas of biblical truth. If you're just a little military, religious, kind of tight wads, relax. The relationships around you will function much better. There's a lot of times you can be so rigid, you bounce people right off of you. One guy I was reading his commentary, you bounce people off like a tennis ball off a wall. Have you ever seen that? Takes off pretty quickly, doesn't it? You don't want to repel people. Be gracious, be kind. Second part of verse 5 says, The Lord is near. I love this. This is a good reminder. You and I need this all the time. It can actually be translated in a lot of different ways. It can be translated both spatial or time. 
So I do understand because they are anticipating Jesus' return. So at one point, you and I are in more of a realistic point to sit there and realize what? Jesus could come at any minute. Well, there's all these things that got to be done. Wait a minute. If that's the case and it's going to be such a well-known approach, then the whole issue of telling us that he will come as a thief in the night is a bunk deal. No, it could happen now. Are you ready? Here's what I think about this a lot of time. Not only is his imminent return here, but it's also the fact, too, that what? He is here. Anytime we do anything, where is Jesus? He's right here. David figured that out in Psalm 139 very clearly, that he's omniscient and omnipresent. He's always here and he's all-knowing. You're not going to be anywhere that God is not. So he's fully aware of what's happening in the situation, what's going on. He's so close, it's very quick to sit and have a conversation with him and deal with it. Interesting thing, too, that I've noticed, and I've thought it, I don't think it consistently, and I wish I did, but really make a big difference. Put your mind kind of in a thinker mode. You're doing something somewhere, good or bad. I'm not going to define that. But in what you're doing or saying, at that instance, you're standing before Jesus. Would he be pleased? Would he be honored, honored and glorified? I really wish that was front and center in my thinking at all times because it would radically change everything that I do and think. What? And everything that you do in word, mouth, deed, action, do to what? The glory of God. He gets the glory, not your self-centered self. So he's at hand. Especially about that thing that that attitude that says it's not going according to your plan. <laughs> I always giggle. Well, I had a great plan and everything, and now I'm in heaven. Oh, whoopee. You know, I'm pretty sure Paul, when he had the when he told them the Romans, he said, I I what desire to be with you. And he probably had an itinerary, right? But God had a better plan. Because it required not Paul's plan, but God's plan did ministry, shared the gospel, brought the truth of God and the power of God to people that had never heard. Shipwreck included, yes, got that one. How about the first part of 6A? <laughs> okay, everybody run for the hills. Do not worry about anything. Very simple. Do not be anxious about anything. That's hard. We're thinkers. We're more in the mindset of I did it my way kind of thinking. This is not to be mistaken for the point of concern. You can be concerned for something and somebody. But not to the point that you get totally distracted and you start trying to analyze it and you start losing it. Anxiety comes pretty quickly. Have you ever noticed it's not something that kind of ramps up, it kind of just slams at you quickly? 
Do not worry about the basics of life. We've already talked about Matthew 6. What am I going to do tomorrow? Really? You and I are very quick to understand. Tomorrow may not come. Praise God if it doesn't. Again, I've said this before. Do you ever get depressed when you wake up in the morning and see the popcorn ceiling? What's that mean? You're still here. What's it also mean? You're not there. That sometimes depresses me. I, I just Not that the fact that, oh, i got to go to work. No. It's, I want to be with Jesus. I want to be home. But if I'm still here, what, what does he want me to do? Occupy till he comes. Matthew 6.25, real clear. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes. I saw this this week in Facebook. Oh, careful, I know it's not a theological <laughs> a point to disperse information, but she photographed a framed statement. There we are. Okay, and it's, it's pretty simple. I liked it. And it fits with this. Worry is a conversation you have with yourself about things you cannot change. Prayer is a conversation you have with God about things He can change. When you're filled with anxiety, you're not looking at Jesus. When it gets hard to stay on Jesus, where do you go? Stay on Jesus. Brother I was talking with this week, he goes, man, it's so hard. What if I don't feel like I want to be in the Word or pray? Do it. Well, that doesn't make sense. Yeah, it does. Steve said it quite a few times. Don't worry. Your life will get caught up and overtake your feelings. You may not feel like to be in the Word, but do it. Why? You need it. <laughs> Anybody ever tried to force you to have to eat? No. You don't feel like praying? Pray. Keep your face in Jesus always. And then what does Paul put a cap with this? Second part of verse 6. Pray about everything, okay? But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. A lot of debate on, does my prayer change God? No. Prayer gets us into the face of God, and prayer causes us to be aligned with God's will. Prayer is us aligning correctly, synchronizing where we should be. I think it's interesting. There have been many surveys completed that give the shocking numbers of proclaiming Christians who did not pray but maybe a few minutes, if at all, or when there's a disaster. All right, no raise of hands, but be honest with yourself. What's your prayer life look like? Oh, did you get your three prayers for yesterday? Breakfast? Lunch and dinner, and that's all you had. 
See, the problem is if you're getting to the point where you think you've got to pray for food, you've got a big missing point. He says, and everything that you do in word or deed, do all to the glory of God. Be thankful for what? Everything. So when you fill up your gas tank, are you thankful? When you go to the grocery store, buy the groceries, pay the money. Are you thankful? Thankful for your job. Thankful for paved roads. See, we're not thankful people. He says here in supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known. That's all part of our prayer. It's not your mealtime prayer. That's ridiculous. I don't know. This is a side note, and I don't want to offend anybody, but I really have a, sometimes I have a tar. I, I had to stop myself years ago. You're praying for food, and you ask that the Lord would bless it to your body. What did he gen- engineer food to do? blessing to our body it's a natural that's what he did i mean we're not eating dirt okay you may have to pray that prayer if you're eating dirt because it doesn't have all the qualities that you need for food but food is what designed for so what you're doing is you're going to god say god thank you so much (laughs) this is amazing god's a giving god and you've given me food to sustain my life i'm thankful but again prayer is a constant pray without ceasing no, amen. Start in the morning and start all the way through the end of the day. Maybe if you, if you can remember, have you ever gotten to the point where you're just praying at night and all of a sudden the next thing you know the alarm's going off the next day? Isn't that a beautiful thing? And you just pick up prayer where you left off, if you can remember. But see, that's the point. The old song, Take It to the Lord in Prayer. Remember that one? Do we? It may only be sung, folks. I love this. Prayer realigns our thoughts back to God's. If you want to know God's will, talk. Talk to Him. The Word of God and prayer abide together. Do not separate them. Last big point. If you read through Philippians, He's just giving them just so much support. With all this stuff that's going on and everything, you're front and center with God. You're going to be at peace. Verse 7, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Because of what Christ has done on the cross. Saved us from the wrath of God. We have that peace. It's there. Most of the time we don't realize it. And to understand all there is about our peace with God, it's very clear. We're not going to understand it all. It's, it's, it's too big. But you know the beautiful thing about it? It will guard us, which is in military term. It will guard our hearts. It is like a guard placed around us to protect. Paul knew about the job of the guards around him And he helps us to understand that God will guard our emotions and our mind. You and I are starting should start to look at this and go, wow, there's nothing I can do here. I totally need God because He's the one who guards me. I'm not setting up my own guarding, which means I'm vulnerable. You notice how Paul deals with it in Romans twelve two. We have to guard our mind. What's going to guard our mind, folks? 
Romans 12.2, do not be conformed to this world, which wants to, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. Again, that points back to the word and prayer. You want the guard? Word and prayer. Close to God. It's not about you. It's your dependence on Him. Good quote I found says, Paul was not saying that we will feel absolutely at peace and relieved after we pray as he directed here. Still, a measure of peace will be ours. At least we will have the confidence that we have laid the matter before the Lord and sought his aid. Do we do that? Do I do that? I catch myself all day doing it the rig way. Guess what? That's a living disaster. <laughs> I've not had a success in that point at all. Do I learn from it? Uh, better. What do we need? The Word. Always. Constantly. You know the beautiful thing about memorizing the Scripture? You get to take it all day and meditate on it and chew on it and do it, deal with it. And it's great because it's mobile. If you read Paul's letters and all the quotations of the Old Testament, the constant dumping of text that he puts in his letters, and then he goes to Timothy and he says, oh, by the way, Timothy, by the way, when you do come, can you bring me my cloak? Because it's getting, it's wintertime and it's getting really cold in this dungeon. Oh, by the way, can you bring me the scrolls? Can you bring me the scroll? Paul, have you, oh my, you mean to tell me, Paul, you've been quoting all this text of scripture? And you're not quoting from it in front of you? Why? He knew the word. David said what? I do what with the word? I hide it. Not hide it where it's a secret. No, I hide it deep. Why? Because that is going to permutate my whole life. Without the word, you've got no fuel we need the Word. We need prayer. We need meditation. We need, to, we need to hold the Word close and tight. We need to stay in close proximity always with the Lord in communication. It's not an independent race here. It's a race together. So with these principles, take a look at Philippians 4 and chew on it and chew on it and chew on it and try it. It's hard to apply to everything. Love all people. Encourage one another. We've got an opportunity today to do that to those people around us. Well, I don't talk to them. <laughs> Change. We need to. God's given us such a gracious life to live in front of the world. We need to be lights. Let's pray. God, this is hard. This is really hard. Actually, the reality, Father, that it's hard for the most part, because we tend to put you at the last part of the list, not front. It's hard because we're not naturally going to you for all things. We're not naturally talking to you about all things. 
But that's where we have to be. Teach us, grow us, mature us. Keep us in the Word. Help us when we just don't want to be in the Word. And the fact that we would not want to talk to you, in reality, it's ludicrous, but you love us so much. You care for us so much. Help us to be broken before you continually, trusting you and relying on you for all things. God, grant us peace and understanding. And we just love you because you so have loved us. In Jesus Christ our Lord, amen.